0: The views and opinions expressed by contributors on the Spoon River Gothic podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the position of the host. Material heard on the Spoon River Gothic podcast is intended for adult listeners. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide.
1: Please leave a message after the tone. In this day and age, almost anyone can be found online because your private information is no longer private. In today's world, the risk of being tracked online is a significant concern. Anyone, like a coworker, a new online date, or even a stranger, can pose a threat if they gain access to your personal information. Your personal information is already exposed whether you like it or not. In fact, the average person, including you, will have over 2,400 pieces of personal information exposed online over the next two years. Your online reputation is everything, and 40% of information data brokers have on People is inaccurate. This could mean lost job opportunities, higher insurance premiums, or even wrongful arrest. And after hearing our podcast, we all know this could lead to something much darker. And everyone knows that is not a risk you should be willing to take. But did you know there is a legit way to make your personal data yours again? Spooner for Gothic has partnered with number one personal data removal service, Delete Me. Since 2011, Delete Me has made it quick, easy, and safe for listeners like you to remove your personal data online. But how does Delete Me work? Well, it's quick and easy. You just sign up at Join delete me com slash spoon river and submit your personal information for removal from search engines. Next, the removal process begins as Delete.me experts find and remove your personal information, and you will then receive a detailed Delete Me report within seven days. And that's not it. Delete.me experts will continue to scan and delete any detected personal information every three months throughout the year. Since 2011, Delete.me has saved users over 54 years. That's 20,000 hours of required effort to remove personal information from online sources. Delete.me has developed the most comprehensive, thorough, and transparent information removal product on the market. And that is why PCMag.com named Delete Me Excellent, the most outstanding product in its category. With an average rating of 4.7 out of 5 stars, Delete Me has over 800 plus reviews and an A-plus rating by the Better Business Bureau. So know that you can trust this industry leader in online personal data removal. Also, the Delete Me team is always there to help you and prides itself on its outstanding customer service and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. The Delete Me team is not happy if you're not happy. Your privacy is their business. So join Delete Me now risk-free at joindeleteme.com slash spoon river because no one wants to be a victim or a suspect so get protected before it's too late and next time that case hits too close to home you will not find yourself asking that strange person on the other end of the line how did you find my number again that's joindeleteme.com slash spoon river Chapter 63, The Grocery List. August 1st, 1998. To whom it may concern. We are requesting that your agency conduct a full investigation on the Canton Police Department's Chief of Police, J. Michael Elam. This letter will try to provide pertinent information on criminal activity committed by the chief and abuse of his position and concealment of such activities. Certain information will not indicate a crime but will show how the chief of police has abused his authority and the power of his position. A few of these incriminating incidents occurred while J. Michael Elam was employed with the Canton Police Department before he was appointed as chief. The Canton Police Department is located in Canton, Illinois Fulton County. The department consists of approximately 30 officers and dispatchers. Chief Elam has coerced, intimidated, and threatened most of these employees into remaining silent. Approximately 15 years ago, the Canton Police Department was located on South First Avenue in Canton, Illinois. The police department maintained its holding cells at this location. A man was detained and placed into a holding cell. Several officers explained the man was detained because he was intoxicated and being a nuisance. While the man was being held in a locked holding cell, he died. No one checked his well-being during the night. In the morning, the man was found dead in the secured cell. Due to the man not being checked on during the night, his body was placed on top of an old coal furnace, and the heat was turned up. This warmed up the body, and the county coroner was contacted. As the county coroner arrived at the police department, the body was placed on the floor. It was explained to the county coroner that the man had fallen asleep in the lobby. When they checked him, they found him to be deceased. Due to the body still being warm, the county coroner determined the man had recently passed away of natural causes. Chief Elon has bragged about this for several years, and other officers employed with the department at that time have also bragged about this. In summer of 1993, City Mayor Edwards, requested Chief Elam conduct an internal investigation into theft of city property. The mayor believed his city employee was stealing cleaning supplies from a secured room at the public safety building. This mayor wanted the suspects caught, arrested, and fired. Chief Elam and Detective David Ayers conducted this investigation. It was determined Canton Fire Chief DeRinsey was the suspect. Once Chief Elam determined who the suspect was, Chief Elam covered up the incident. Chief Dorenzi was not arrested nor fired from his position. Detective Ayers was ordered to remain silent on the matter. During this time, a lady filed a criminal complaint of telephone harassment with the Canton Police Department. This was investigated by Detective Ayers and Detective Bowton. It was determined through telephone records that the person making the harassing calls was using Chief Dorenzi's private line. The private line is located in the fire chief's office at the Public Safety Building. Chief Elam learned Fire Chief Rinzi had an affair with the complainant. When she ended the affair, the harassing phone call started. Chief Elam covered up the information on Chief DeRinzi. No arrest was made by the department, and Chief Elam ordered the officers to be silent on the matter. Between 1993 and 1996, Donna Tompkins and her three-year-old daughter Justine Tompkins were murdered in Canton. A man named Donald Bull was arrested for the crime. Donald Bull was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. Donald Bull is currently on death row and filing appeals. Since the trial, we found out that some of the evidence was missing from the Canton Police Department's evidence locker. This evidence was collected from the neck of one of the victims. The evidence was not sent to a lab for testing. It was also determined the evidence could not be located before the trial. Detective Dave Ayers and Detective Marty Bowden were given written orders from Chief Elam that they were to conceal the fact that this evidence was missing. This evidence was concealed from the prosecution and defense attorneys. Could this evidence prove that Donald Bull did not commit the murders? We will never know, since Chief Elam concealed this during Donald Bull's trial. Chief Elam did not do an internal investigation into this matter. It is still unknown what happened to the missing evidence. The Canton Police Department works with the State Police Task Force. An officer from our department works undercover with this task force. Officer Larry Holwater worked with the task force as an undercover officer. The State Police notified Chief Elam that Officer Holwater was being removed from the task force. Larry Holwater, while working undercover, had committed some type of criminal conduct. This was explained to Chief Elam by the State Police. Chief Elam placed Larry Holwater on 3rd shift patrol. Chief Elam did not conduct an internal investigation into Larry Holwater's criminal conduct. Officers who do know what Larry Holwater did were ordered by Chief Elam to remain silent or else. Officers who work with the task force are allowed to keep their badge as a memento of their work. Larry Holwater was not allowed to keep his task force badge. But Chief Elam used city funds and bought Larry Holwater a task force badge. 1994-1995 Lloyd Walker was working with task force agent John Harmon as a confidential source. Lloyd Walker provided information on the person who was selling drugs in Canton. The suspect was a relative of Chief Elam's. Within days of Lloyd Walker providing this information, he was confronted by the suspect. The suspect threatened Lloyd Walker. When Lloyd Walker attempted to deny he was the confidential source, the suspect stated he was related to Chief Elam, and that Elam had told him who had provided task force with information on him. Lloyd Walker refused to work as a confidential source with the task force after this. 1997-1998, a Canton police supervisor was involved in several domestic disputes with his wife. Each domestic dispute resulted in Lieutenant Don Edwards punching holes in the wall and damaging other items in the house. Chief Elam was notified of each incident and asked to discipline Lieutenant Edwards before someone was hurt. During another domestic, Don Edwards' wife filed a domestic battery complaint. She claimed that Don Edwards had knocked her to the floor and threatened her with the pistol. Don Edwards fled the residence and drove out of the state to his parents' residence. Don Edwards was supposed to work that morning, but he did not show up. Later in the morning, Don Edwards telephoned the police department. Don Edwards was told he was a suspect for domestic battery to his wife. Don Edwards said that he would be out of the state on vacation, Don Edwards refused to return to the state of Illinois. Chief Elam spoke to Don Edwards by telephone. Don Edwards returned to Illinois and came back to work. A minimal criminal investigation was conducted by Sergeant Richards. Sergeant Richards stated he asked Don Edwards if he had struck his wife. Don Edwards replied no, and that was the end of the criminal investigation. Chief Elam did not order an internal investigation into this incident or discipline Don Edwards for his conduct. Chief Elam notified the employees that the matter is dropped and not to discuss it with anyone. The spring of 1997, Officer Don Taylor investigated a criminal trespass complaint. It was determined that Detective Kit McDowell was serving papers for a local attorney. At the complainant's residence, she would not answer the door. Kit McDowell walked into the complainant's residence and threw the papers at her and stated, You've been served. Once Chief Elam found out that the suspect was a Canton police officer, he attempted to conceal the matter. The complainant demanded to file criminal charges. Don Taylor notified the Fulton County State's Attorney of the incident. The State's Attorney then spoke with Chief Elam. Chief Elam claimed he was going to handle the incident internally. Chief Elam then issued Don Taylor a written order to turn over all reports, evidence, and notes on the complainant. Don Taylor was reprimanded by Chief Elam in order not to discuss the complaint again. Chief Elam did not conduct an internal investigation into Kit McDowell's conduct. During the summer of 1997, Detective Kit McDowell was inside a local tavern drinking beer while on duty. Detective McDowell was involved in a physical altercation with an intoxicated male inside the bar. Detective McDowell then arrested the intoxicated male. A complaint was filed with Chief Elam. Detective Ayers went to the tavern and attempted to interview the bartenders. Detective Ayers stated the bartenders claim they did not know what Detective McDowell was drinking. The bartenders had removed Detective McDowell's glass from the bar and did not know what they did with it. Chief Elam did not conduct an internal investigation into this incident and again ordered the employees to remain silent. Winter and Spring of 1997 and 1998, Lieutenant Don Edwards' stepson was a suspect in several criminal complaints. Lt. Don Edwards made photocopies of police reports and gave them to his stepson. Lt. Don Edwards used his position as a supervisor to intimidate subordinates who were investigating criminal complaints against his stepson. Lt. Edwards and his wife would telephone investigating officers at home and harass them. Lt. Edwards and his wife went to Lt. Dean Putman's residence and caused a disturbance. It was alleged that they were angry because Lt. Putman was involved in arresting Lt. Edwards' stepson. On one occasion, Lt. Don Edwards' stepson was arrested by Detective Dave Ayers. Lt. Don Edwards was off-duty but came to the police department to pick up his stepson. Lt. Don Edwards and Dave Ayers became involved in a verbal argument over Don Edwards' stepson being arrested. The argument escalated into a physical altercation between Don Edwards and Dave Ayers. The on-duty dispatchers had to have patrolmen come into the police station to separate the two. The dispatchers also had to have an on-duty fireman assist the patrolmen. Chief Phelan was notified of the incident. Chief Phelan did not conduct an internal investigation nor discipline Lieutenant Don Edwards. Chief Phelan ordered the employees to remain silent on these incidents. 1997-1998 Earl Hobbs opened a dance club for persons under 21. The name of the teen center is Hobbsies. Chief Phelan found out that most of Earl Hobbs' customers were black males from Peoria, Illinois. Chief Elam ordered the patrol officers to constantly patrol Hobbeses. Chief Elam instructed the patrol officers to look for vehicles with blacks entering or leaving Hobbeses. Chief Elam wanted these individuals harassed until they stopped coming to Canton. Those officers ignored Chief Elam's order and were verbally reprimanded for not writing enough citations. Chief Elam then assigned a detail of officers who were favorable to this type of conduct to specifically harass blacks in the area of Hobbeses. These details worked in and around Hobbsy's for several weeks. The purpose was to harass blacks who went to Hobbsy's. We should point out that the Canton Police Department does not have any black employees. We have had several good candidates test, but none seem to get hired. As employee Donna Branchfield filed a complaint with the mayor against Chief Elam, Chief Elam did away with her position and had her laid off. Once Donna Branchfield was gone, Chief Elam assigned Lieutenant Edwards to Donna Branchfield's old position. James Malgram was the city attorney for Canton. James Malgram's attorney's license was suspended because he was embezzling clients' money. James Malgram resigned as the city attorney and admitted in a local paper of being addicted to alcohol and prescription medication. Chief Elam then hired James Malgram to work at the police department as a dispatcher. The police department did not have an opening for dispatch, so other dispatchers were scheduled to work less hours. Didn't James Mulgram work their hours? James Mulgram had no experience or training as a dispatcher. James Mulgram worked as a dispatcher until he was able to find other employment. A former dispatcher, Pam, notified Chief Elam, a Canton Police Department auxiliary member, was making sexual overtures toward her. This auxiliary member was identified as Merle Petit, who was a friend of the Chief's. After this complaint was made, the Chief reduced her work hours Eventually, her work hours were so few, she resigned and is now employed with the Fulton County Sheriff's Department. Because of the Chief's response, other female employees were afraid to file complaints on Merle Petit. Since then, Chief Elam has promoted Merle Petit to Lieutenant. Chief Elam has intimidated, threatened, and coerced employees into remaining silent. The majority of us believe we will be fired or disciplined if we place our names on this document. We do believe if officers are questioned individually, information will come forward. The most despicable thing is that Donald Bull could be sitting on death row for a crime he did not commit. Since Chief Elam issued written orders to Dave Ayers and Marty Bowden to conceal evidence during the trial, there will always be a doubt to Donald Bull's guilt. With this, we provide this documentation so that a proper agency can initiate an investigation. These complaints have been filed with the FBI, the FBI, State of Illinois Attorney General's Office, State's Attorney, Appellate, Prosecutor, NAACP, and the ACLU of Illinois. Sincerely, the Honest Police Officers of Canton Police Department. Ladies and gentlemen, as we skip like a stone across the surface of this disarray, on January 15, 1999, as the Canton Police Department and the state's attorney's office decided to get out ahead of this curveball, the Peoria Journal Star headline read Canton officials want to face their accuser. Canton authorities are searching for the writer of an anonymous letter that accused several city officials and Fulton County state's attorney Ed Danner of misconduct. However, Danner was cleared after an investigation by the state appellate prosecutor's office, Illinois State Police, and the FBI, according to Mike Vakovich, a special prosecutor assigned to the probe. City officials were cleared through investigations by the Canton Police Department, according to Canton Mayor Don Edwards. Officials now are looking to take action against the person or people responsible for this letter. Edwards said someone circulated the five-page letter last August containing allegations of official misconduct by various city officials during the last 15 years. Edwards said he could not say how many people received the letter, but he indicated he and various private and governmental agencies received copies of it. And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you one other person in particular received a copy of this letter in the mail on September 10th, 1998 and that is none other than Donald R. Bowl at Pontiac Correctional Center 700 West Lincoln Street Pontiac Illinois 61764 inmate number N38170 The article goes on The letter has not been made public and Edwards said he would not comment on its specifics other than to say the accusations read like an unfounded grocery list of allegations And ladies and gentlemen, this grocery list may have never made it into the public eye if Donnie had not passed it along to the Midwest Center for Justice in Chicago, where his clemency lawyer Alan Friedman, who you have heard from in earlier episodes, got his hands on it and sent it directly to Donald Bull's family, who in turn passed it along to us. And now, we pass it along to you. Continuing on. Special Prosecutor Vakovich said many of the allegations concern the Canton Police Department and its officers. Canton Police Chief Mike Elam would not comment on the letter, its allegations, or the state's investigations. There were a host of allegations, Djokovic said. The letter alleged this like malfeasance in the Canton Police Chief's office and failure of the department to investigate alleged misconduct of officers. While Edwards said the allegations appeared to have no merit, He said the city took the precautions of requesting an investigation and turned the letter over to the state appellate prosecutor's office in Springfield. Vukovich said his office investigated, an allegation that evidence was mishandled in the Donald Bull murder case. Bull was found guilty in 1993 of murdering Canton resident Donna Tompkins and her three-year-old daughter Justine. The Illinois Supreme Court in November affirmed that Bull's death sentence for the crime. His execution is set for March 16th of this year. Vukovic said the letter hinted that a piece of evidence was somehow deliberately misplaced. While his office learned that an item of evidence was missing, it was not due to any negligence on Danner's part, he said. We didn't want a denial of a fair trial for a guy sitting on death row, Vukovic said. There was not deliberate mishandling by the prosecutors. While the identity of the letter writer is not known, Vukovic said the details indicate the author is a former or disgruntled employee. The credibility of several departments is at stake, Edwards said, of the need for an investigation into the writer's identity. This is not a one-issue thing. And ladies and gentlemen, Mayor Edwards was entirely correct. This was not a one-issue thing. In fact, It was a thing that directly concerned or should have that very rift that opened concerning the death penalty. For instance, it has been said with great interest that the piece of evidence that had been so-called misplaced by the Canton Police Department was a piece of fabric, a collar per se, which had been discovered around the neck of either Donna or Justine Tompkins. This is highly consequential because it would suggest that Donna nor Justine were most likely stripped nude before they had been set afire but that, in fact, they had been dressed, most likely, in their pajamas. And as far as Donna, she slept in the nude or in very little, such as panties and a t-shirt at most, her boyfriend, Rod Franciscovich, had claimed. In a fast, hot, and intense blaze, as Fire Marshal Anderson described the fire, such materials simply could have burned off their bodies, and any further evidence of such could have opened a rift in the narrative of the state's case. As a body stripped of the nude, much more strongly suggests the two had died before the fire and not as a consequence of the fire and its hot gases. To suggest the pair may have died in their sleep would be to imply they were killed at the hands of the fire, not man, not murder, and thus, not Donnie Bull. And Donnie's execution date was nearing fast, just two months in a single day from the publication of this article. But Donnie's execution date would be delayed, and on March 30th, the Peoria Journal Star read, Police Lieutenant suspended without pay. Fire and Police Commission will conduct hearing into allegations of misconduct. Canton, a high ranking police officer, had been suspended without pay pending a hearing on several allegations that include battery of a citizen and professional misconduct, an official said Monday. The city's Fire and Police Commission decided to suspend Lieutenant David Ayers during a special meeting Friday, said Canton Police Lieutenant Dean Putman about three or four complaints of misconduct from the public and a magnitude of complaints from officers ranking below Ayers to an investigation by Illinois State Police. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant David Ayers is that same officer who served as lead detective for the Donald Bull case, then a sergeant who had interrogated and coerced potentially self-incriminating information from Donnie at the Fulton County Jail back in 1993. complicate matters even more for the lieutenant. His brother-in-law, Police Chief Mike Elam, was responsible for carrying out the suspension and briefing Mayor Don Edwards, who decided an outside agency should investigate the complaints. The State Police District 8 Investigative Division in Peoria began interviewing people around December 18th. Attorney Bruce Beal, who does labor work for the city, drafted a formal complaint after completing the investigation. Lt. Dean Putman presented the complaint to the commission Friday who will act as police chief for the proceedings. Putman said Elam appointed him as chief because Ayers is Elam's brother-in-law. Only one of the complaints involved an alleged battery, Putman said. And two of the civilian complaints came from juveniles. The incidents outlined in the complaint allegedly happened during the past two years. Putman said that he could not give further details on the allegations against Ayers. However, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you that it had been witnessed firsthand that on one occasion, undocumented in the complaint, Ayers had been violent with an underage teen while on duty in Canton, a physical and unprovoked assault which involved involved Ayers throwing the unsuspecting and terrified teen over the hood of his squad car and then slamming him against a brick wall. And while shouting threats at the boy, challenging him to a fight, he threatened to cause physical harm to his family, of whom he disparaged with profanity. At this point, Putman continued, these are allegations still, and Ayers obviously will have his chance to have his day in court, so to speak, Putman said. So to speak, ladies and gentlemen. The hearing would take place before a three-member fire and police commission, which dealt with hiring, promoting, and disciplining officers. The hearing would be open to the public, said Ed Ketchum, a member of the commission. Putman said the hearing would be similar to a court trial, and heirs in the city could call witnesses. After evidence is presented, Putman said, the commission can rule whether to reinstate, discipline, or fire heirs. Fulton County State's Attorney Ed Danner has reviewed the state police interviews, and Putman said criminal charges would not be filed. He felt the complaint was better served in a labor setting, Putman said of the state's attorney. Chief Elam put Ayers on administrative leave on February 25th, Putman said, and he was paid during that time. The decision to put Ayers on leave was made because the alleged offenses were reported to have happened during duty hours, and Ayers' decision would obviously affect our department, the city, and the public, Putman said. Ayers is one of three lieutenants in the police department. Putman said he has worked for the department since December of 1984 and has held the rank of lieutenant for about one and a half years. Ayers declined to comment Monday on the allegations and said he is finding an attorney. The significance, ladies and gentlemen, is that many believe that Ayers had been the author of the anonymous letter and that the city's actions against him were direct retribution for the supposed action of writing said letter. And on January 3, 1999, another Peoria Journal Star headline read, disciplinary hearing will continue today. Canton Police Lieutenant accused of misconduct, battery of a civilian. Canton. Witnesses in a disciplinary hearing for a Canton Police officer accused of professional misconduct and battery of a citizen were expected to testify late into Tuesday night. The hearing for Lieutenant David Ayres, who had been suspended without pay since March, will resume today with more witness testimony, said Lieutenant Dean Putman, acting chief for the hearing. The city's three-member Fire and Police Commission started the hearing at 10 a.m. on that day and were expected to work until 10 p.m., he said. The commission initially planned to open the hearing to the public, but decided before testimony began to close it, Putman said. According to Putman, B. Olner's attorney, Brian Schroeder of Longgrove, gave opening statements to begin the hearing. As of 6 p.m., he said two witnesses had testified and more were planned for the evening. Putman said the goal of the Fire and Police Commission is to determine whether the complaints against Ayers were accurate. If the complaints are merited, heirs could be disciplined or fired. Putman said the complaints also could be dismissed. Both the city and heirs can question and cross-examine witnesses, he said. Basically, the process is very similar to a courtroom, Putman said. Very similar, ladies and gentlemen. And no criminal charges had been filed against Ayers. And this, ladies and gentlemen, was a decisive refusal made by state's attorney Ed Danner, who had also been accused in the letter of misconduct, who along with the city decided this mock trial, per se, should be kept private amongst the departments, and not actually held in a court of law before a jury of peers. And thus, the press, and the headlines were limited to what little information the acting police chief was willing to share. June 4th, Peoria Journal-Star. Hearing for officer will continue today. One of the complaints against heirs involves an alleged battery and two civilian complaints from juveniles, officials have said. And on June 21st, the Canton Police and Fire Commission were expected to hand down its decision Tuesday during the final hearing. Fulton County State's Attorney Ed Danner said on that Friday that his office had no plans to file criminal charges against heirs. The Old Boys Club, ladies and gentlemen. An interconnected team adept at not only navigating the judicial system, but paralyzing it. June 21 Commission ponders punishment. Canton Lieutenant may be disciplined after misconduct. Battery Allegations and this, ladies and gentlemen, is precisely how such a mock trial shall result in any and all allegations remaining just that. Allegations. And some of those allegations contained in the complaints that heirs engaged in inappropriate conduct in a police car with a 17-year-old female and close friend of the officer's teenage daughter, both while on and off duty from August 1998 through January 1999. During each of the 15 occasions with the girl, He allegedly hugged her, massaged her back, and kissed her cheek and mouth. And it has been assumed much more. A potential accusation of criminal assault and statutory rape of a youth U three decades his junior, which upon reaching the desk of state's attorney Ed Danner, seemingly went no further than the trash can. Other accusations in the complaint are that the officer committed battery against a 12-year-old male in September of 1998, ordered another officer to issue a citation for loitering without legal justification, Challenged another Canton police officer to a physical fight while in a Canton police car in 1995. Made derogatory remarks to other officers and his superiors, subordinates, and associates in 1997. Argued with and verbally abused a 13-year-old male. Used profane language and challenged the youth to a fight while on a neighborhood trouble call in October of 1998. Challenged another Canton police officer to a fight in a police car at Ayers residence in the spring of 1995 verbally abused another officer in the department in front of other officers for no apparent reason in January of 1999, and Ayers allowed an officer to be exposed to a situation where a threat of harm or danger was pending in July of 1997. All supposed actions of a man, which also compromised the dignity of the Donald Bull investigation, seeing Ayers was a lead detective on the case, and evidence had gone missing. August 10th, 2000, Peoria Journal-Star, Canton, a fired police lieutenant is suing his former chief and three officers in a federal lawsuit alleging civil rights violations and defamation of character stemming from his firing in June of 1999. The lawsuit charges that Police Chief Mike Elam aggressively sought the termination of Lieutenant David Ayers after concluding the 14-year-old department veteran had written and distributed an anonymous letter throughout the city that alleged corruption and misconduct by Elam. Canton mayor, and other police and city employees. Ayers contended that he had nothing to do with the letter, dated August 1st, 1998. And to this day, he claims that he is unaware who wrote it. Ayers said Elam accused him of writing the letter and told him he would be fired for it. I want the money that's owed me back and my job back, Ayers said Wednesday from his Canton home. The chief and mayor were mad at me. They appointed and owned the police and fire commission, and it was pretty set and dried what was going to happen there. The lawsuit filed July 19th in U.S. District Court in Peoria names as defendants Elam, Lieutenant Dean Putman, and Terrence McCain and Eric Hall, both of the Illinois State Police, who had also been a part of the task force charged with investigating the deaths of Donna and Justine Tompkins. Ayers is seeking compensation and punitive damages against the defendants and a sum sufficient to deter willful and wanton actions along with mandatory injecture relief requiring Elam and Putman to reinstate him as Canton Police Lieutenant. He also seeks reimbursement of court costs and attorney's fees. Seven specific counts are listed in the complaint, the first five involving civil rights violations. An irony that should not escape anyone, ladies and gentlemen. First, two counts alleged Ayers' First Amendment rights were violated on the basis of the belief that he wrote the incriminating letter and for speaking with FBI agents investigating the truthfulness of the letter. Count three charges Ayers' rights were violated when he was terminated for telling the FBI he believed at least two of the paragraphs in the letter concerning Elam were true. The lawsuit charges in count four that Ayers' rights were violated when the defendants placed him on administrative leave and prohibited him from any contact with members of the Canton Police Department. Count 5 alleges Ayers' rights were violated when the defendants conducted a rigged and fraudulent hearing of the Police and Fire Commission. In Count 6, the lawsuit alleges that Elam and Putman directed Canton Police employees to go to Ayers' place of employment auto-zone in Pekin and falsely advised various supervisor personnel that the plaintiff was a person of bad and dishonest reputation and character not deserving of employment. And ladies and gentlemen, I ask... Despite the defamatory nature of Ayers' claim, should a person with a supposed immoral and dishonest quality about them, if not deserving of employment at AutoZone, deserve to serve as lead detective of a death penalty case. The lawsuit alleges that the auto parts store fired Ayers because of these statements. Final count charges defamation. According to the lawsuit prior to his dismissal, Ayers possessed a reputation corroborated by his personal file as an honest and law-abiding citizen and as a a thoroughly competent and worthy officer with and for the city of Canton Police Department. Ayers alleges that his dismissal has caused him to suffer a loss of income, loss of future earnings, personal anguish, and embarrassment, loss of employability as a police officer, and that the personal and professional blackening of his name caused emotional distress, loss of sleep, and loss of respect. He also said his dismissal impaired his personal and professional reputation. Ayers was dismissed after a closed hearing by the Police and Fire Commission, which found he committed five of the 21 charges against him, including failure to comply with the police ride-along policy. A rather gentle name for a possible statutory rape in a police car, Elam said Wednesday that he had read the lawsuit and had retained an attorney. He refused to give the name of his attorney, however, referred all comments to City Canton attorney Jim Elson Sr. May 30, 2001, Peoria Journal-Star, Canton a state appeals court has upheld the 1999 firing of Canton Police Lieutenant David Ayers, who had been accused of misconduct, fired in June 1999 by the Canton Fire and Police Commission. In June of last year, his firing was affirmed in Fulton County Circuit Court. The fire and police panel released a copy of the appellate ruling, which was filed by March 24th. The justices voted 3-0 to, to uphold the circuit court. I think it's the decision we were expecting all along current commissioner chairman ed ketchum said tuesday we did our job and the court upheld it Ayers said he was unaware of the ruling and did not want to comment according to the appellate court the canton panel concluded that Ayers committed the following acts of misconduct he allowed a fellow officer to be exposed to danger in a situation where a threat of harm or danger was impending used profane language when dealing with young members of the community during law enforcement action, argued with and verbally abused a 13-year-old male using profane language and challenging him to a fight, verbally abused another officer in front of fellow officers for no apparent reason, and failed numerous times to obtain and request a police ride-along form required by Canton police in order to take a 17-year-old girl in a squad car on patrol, even if that girl is your daughter's closest friend. And thus, engaged in a Canton police car with a 17-year-old female while on duty and off duty. The court found that each of the board's findings is amply supported by the record and there was no sufficient cause to fire errors. The justices also found there was no evidence of prejudice to support his claim that he was denied due process. how the tables have turned for Mr. Ayers, but not so much for Donnie Bull, who still sat on death row. Well, let me take that back. Maybe a little. Maybe a little, in fact. Maybe a lot. You see, that anonymous letter, in addition to Justice Harrison's dissenting opinion, had in fact, by this time, ignited a fire that was now burning red hot under Donnie's clemency case, further fueled by new evidence that had emerged but let's take a moment to ponder the potential causations behind the rapid downfall of Mr. Ayers. Theory 1 Michael Ayers, 42, of rural Taylorville, the president of the Mid-America Sport Parachute Club, was killed on September 28, 1997. He had been training another jumper in free-fall maneuvers. Both deployed their chutes between 2,000 and 3,000 feet in the air but authorities said something went wrong with their chute, about 60 feet off the ground. Ayers had made about 3,800 skydives, a friend estimated at the time. Some believe that the tragic death of his brother, Michael, may have led to the demise of Dave Ayers' constitution as a man and conduct as a police officer, and this was roughly around the time when his bearing began to spin out of control. Additionally, it was not long after this tragedy that he began his inappropriate relationship with a teenage girl, a mortality complex perhaps, one which had resulted in a morality collapse. Still, this theory could be challenged by the fact that some of the allegations against errors stretch as far back as 1995, which could have been fueled by some sort of inner demon which undoubtedly took shape much prior. Especially as you consider the superiority complex that led him to believe he was above the law as he falsely imprisoned Donnie Bull in 1993. Theory number two, a person's true colors will always show in time. Adding on to the notion that further advancement of rank on the force and in the department and taking into account, heirs have been known to abuse his subordinates verbally, There is a reaffirmation of the theory that a person's sense of morality lessens as his or her power increases. As in the words of historian and moralist Lord Acton, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now this notion is pretty straightforward, and also very likely. However, I would like to submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, yet a third theory. Number 3. Mental Anguish Paranoia, major depression, and anxiety are all disorders associated with the potential feelings of guilt and complicity one may experience after playing a significant role in sending a human being to their death. So I submit, might this have been a case of guilt and regret that haunted David Ayres for not only dedicating what would be the highlight of his career to putting a man on death row, but possibly a mistried or innocent man? Now, while this idea begs to lead the conversation back toward that anonymous letter and that misplaced evidence, that new evidence that has supercharged Donnie's clemency, I want to pause and ask again, ladies and gentlemen, just what was it you felt when I suggested guilt and regret have haunted David Ayres? What was that initial sensation, be it intellectual or emotional? What was that response in your gut or in the back of your mind? How likely was it that Theory 3 was actually the cause of not only the rapid decline of Ayers' career, but also his judgment and mental health. Was your thought, yeah, sure, that is very probable? If so, then there you have it. It's pretty straightforward that Ayers was probably plagued with remorse for his wrongdoings and the impending death of a man, a potentially innocent man, and in the least, a man sentenced to the ultimate penalty in a fraudulent trial. However, if that thought, that feeling you had was, no. There's no way. That is not very likely at all. Believing the entire theory a stretch. Then what you have, ladies and gentlemen, is further support that Ayers was indeed an immoral and dishonest enough officer, too deeply flawed of a man, to be charged with that role of lead investigator of the case of the double homicide of Donna and Justine Tompkins, which had resulted in a death penalty trial. That in fact, the ultimate punishment Donnie Bull had been sentenced did not bother Ayers one bit. But on the contrary, he saw it as his most outstanding career achievement. And many would go on to say that this was most certainly the case. That his behavior had grew erratically, as did his ego, as did his self-worth, power, and control. Still, beyond all this inner department drama, some of which had undoubtedly spilled out onto the streets which he patrolled and had affected real lives out in the community, including those within his own home, but mainly the likely severe psychological damage he may have caused to that teenage girl who he had abused. And I must ask, was Ayers indeed a man with no empathy, no conscience? And if so, what is the potential of such a man when unleashed on a community with a badge and a gun? Well, now we see. We can now understand if the chief's actions had not been motivated by the letter specifically, but by Ayers' more fantastic array of behavior, that the chief may have found it prudent, brother-in-law or not, to exterminate Ayers' career immediately before he could cause any more real damage. If not to the department, then to the trial that Elam had helped rig. The relevance, ladies and gentlemen? We may now also perceive that there is a genuine possibility that Donald R. Bull. Donald Bull Jr., Donnie Bull, Donnie, D-O-N-N-I-E, had either stood before a rigged show trial or was not, in fact, guilty as charged for the crimes of which he had been sentenced to death by lethal injection at the hands of the state. I'm Corey Zimmerman, and this is Spoon River Garden. Ladies and gentlemen, if I may have your attention for one moment as I introduce Spoon River Gothic Season 2, Death Rides the Highway, a thrill ride fueled by murder and terror. The motive of this cross-country killing spree at its heart? Storytelling. And though this horrid crime is true, the story was birthed by imagination, as those people, the players involved, created their own characters and then took to the road to not only discover, but rain down upon their preferred setting. Then, through one unspeakable vile act after another, These characters wrote a story, an adventure only these characters could have dreamt of. Set free in a world where destiny quickly took one expected turn after the next, an absorbing tale of two individuals whose paths seemed destined never to cross, yet had. Meet 18-year-old honor student Lisa Dunn, whose seemingly idyllic life and background were undoubtedly worlds apart from 28-year-old self-proclaimed bad boy, Daniel Eugene Remetta, a product of a turbulent, neglectful, and abusive upbringing, who found himself on a collision course with the criminal underworld from a young age. Growing up in the shadow of alcoholism, a childhood marked by habitual encounters with law enforcement, Danny's life was marred by violence and chaos from the start. In stark contrast, Lisa Dunn's life was on a trajectory toward college and a promising future. Until shortly before their fateful meeting, she embodied a well-cared-for, academically successful teenager from a loving and well-to-do middle-class home. But then, suddenly her grades slipped, she experimented with drugs, and even ran away from home to Florida, signaling her growing discomfort with the life that had been assigned to her. And when Lisa and Danny's past crossed, it was at that crossroads, that crosshair in life, that caused an abrupt turn into not only uncharted territory, but terror. At Radio Verte, we aim to unravel this captivating tale of how these two vastly different individuals came together. We will deeply explore the intricate dynamics that led to a cross-country, multi-state killing spree, one marked and dog-eared for all time by early onset mass murder, in a time of social change just at that dawn when murderous violence would spill out across the nation. As we delve into the narrative, we'll grapple with the haunting question, who was manipulating who? Who transitioned into an active accomplice? And with the complex interplay of Danny and Lisa's conflicting backgrounds and terrible choices, along with the influence of consequential figures like former altar boy turned cold-blooded killer Tagalong Mark Walter, and hitchhiking Vietnam vet JC Catfish Hunter, just what sociopathic crimes would transpire. Follow along with Spoon River Gothic Season 2, Death Rides the Highway, as we present a compelling true crime road saga that will challenge your understanding of human capacity for both darkness and redemption coming February 2024, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Spoon River Gothic is a production of Lonebird Media in association with CZ Studio and Radio Verite. The show is produced by August Olson. Editing, directing, and producing by Corey Zimmerman. Audio mastering and engineering by E. Mastered. Research is done by Anne-Marie Cannon, Chelsea Mesa, and me, Genra Illustrisimo. Spoon River Gothic is written and hosted by Corey Zimmerman. You can follow the show at czstudio.works and read the blog at spoonrivergothic.com. Show some love by leaving us a rating or a review on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next episode as we dive deeper into the Donald Bull case. Thank you for listening. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide.